you've certainly seen in the last uh, handful of months and really over the last few years, a tremendous amount of buildup in different organizations, plans, providers, analytics firms that are utilizing AI to change the way in which healthcare is delivered and how patients can be more engaged in their care. And I think that's really where the sizzle or the interest lies. Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, your leading source for insights and best practices on the digital transformation of healthcare. Join host Patty Patmanaban, CEO of Demo Consulting and best-selling author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, how consumerism, technology, and pandemic are accelerating the future in conversation with healthcare and technology leaders. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Palbox. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to my podcast. This is Patty, and it is my great privilege and honor to introduce my special guest today, Sachin Patel, Chief Executive Officer of Epixio, a healthcare AI company. Sachin, thank you so much for setting aside the time, and welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks a lot, Patty. Appreciate being here. You're most welcome. So, Sachin, why don't we uh, start with... Uh, uh, maybe a little bit of background on Epixio and also on your interesting journey to how you got here. Uh, that would be very interesting for our listeners as well. Sure. So from an Epixio standpoint, you know, our mantra has always been that we believe the key to achieving better healthcare is through data insights. And to that end, Epixio has created a proprietary artificial intelligence platform that's able to render computable data from clinical, administrative, and other notes. And the text in these documents, the, the unstructured data, if you will, contain 70 to 80% of the information about an individual's healthcare, most of which is not captured in claims or other administrative data. Certainly, you need both pieces, the structured and unstructured, but we pride ourselves on being able to tackle both of those. And what we can do with that data is then assemble what we call patient phenotypes from the smart aggregation of the various insights that are generated from those two data types. And then our artificial intelligence platform is able to provide these insights for a variety of different use cases, which we can get into. And then from a quick background on myself to answer that part of your question, I, uh, prior to Apixio, was with a healthcare services company in the value-based care space. And prior to that was in investment banking and way back when started my career actually as an engineer. Okay. That is interesting background. Now, Apixio was acquired by Centene late last year. Tell us a little bit about that and how that came about. Sure. So um, Centene had been a uh, recent customer of ours, but they had acquired WellCare and WellCare was one of our key customers. And they had seen the direction that we were taking our platform and the potential that we had to use the artificial intelligence capabilities to improve value-based care and other activities that are important to a health plan. So it was a perfect fit for our next chapter. And importantly, you know, we've had the benefit of having seen 40 plus other customers data inform the quality of our insights that are gathered. And now we have access through Centene to 25 million patients worth of additional data from which to train our algorithms and develop new capabilities. And for our listeners, uh, Centene is one of the largest health insurance companies in the country with a specific focus on the Medicaid population. Is that right? That's right. They're largely focused on Medicaid, but with the acquisition of WellCare have a pretty significant footprint in terms of number of lives covered in the Medicare space as well. Excellent. So I would like to 
come to Apixio and what you do and some of the unique uh, factors and unique aspects of your technology and how you apply it for unstructured data in particular. But before we do that, I'd love to get your thoughts on where do you see AI in healthcare today and what are the big opportunity areas? Yeah, so you've certainly seen in the last uh, handful of months and really over the last few years, a tremendous amount of buildup in different organizations, plans, providers, analytics firms that are utilizing AI to change the way in which healthcare is delivered and how patients can be more engaged in their care. And I think that's really where the sizzle or the interest lies in any company pursuing their activities within the healthcare realm. And so in particular, getting closer to that point of care, getting closer to the patient, that's where you can really drive some of the changes that are being looked for. But importantly, you can't leave behind the administrative or the plan administration side of it that sometimes you know doesn't get talked about as much. And so the ability to have a technology platform that works across all of those areas and be effective in terms of the access to the data, the analysis that you conduct on it, and mining all of the different pieces of information to form a holistic view of what that care journey looks like for both the payer and the provider, and I should say the the patient as well, that's how you unlock all of the value and and where I think the big opportunity lies is bringing that all together. So you've got certainly a continuum of folks that operate in different parts of that, but you want to be able to bring that all together and then have that bear out in the type of care that's delivered. Yeah, I would agree with you. In fact, uh, I might even go to the extent of saying that uh, while the clinical areas, the clinical opportunity areas for improving healthcare outcomes and population health and so on, they get a lot more airtime in the media and they get a lot more airtime in terms of the potential. Uh, The money that's being made today from applying AI very directly seems to be a lot more in the administrative functions where you can see a very direct correlation between what you put in and what you get out of it. Correct me if I'm wrong there. I think that's spot on. I think that's right. And and certainly, you know, with appropriate focus on where we all would like to see healthcare go as it relates to the, the provider and the patient side of it, no doubt that is where we all want to see improvement. Because if you think about what's caused a lot of the abrasion within healthcare delivery in the U.S., it's the burden of those administrative activities that prevent the providers from being able to provide the right type of care. So we all have an eye towards that. But as it relates to where you also need to have important business focus. It is on that administrative side. And I would say you're right, certainly in terms of being able to demonstrate a clear ROI. And then importantly, as you think about value-based care and how those contracts are structured and how you drive the action that is desired from all parties to that set of activities, that's where you want to make sure that you've got the administrative piece solved for as well with the benefit of efficiencies gained from artificial intelligence platforms or other technologies, especially when you look outside of Medicare Advantage and think of the other lines of business that typically don't have as robust a margin profile. Yeah, and that's a nice segue to what we'd like to talk about, uh, which is how Epixio is actually bringing about some of these improvements in administrative efficiencies by applying AI, specifically in the context of revenue and payment operations. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about that and maybe illustrate uh, how you create value by taking a couple of examples, maybe. Sure. And and I'll start actually with a very simple example so that it doesn't get lost in the broader explanation. 
in simple terms, if you're looking at a series of hundreds of pages of a patient's chart and you're a human looking at it for whatever case, let's make it this area that we're talking about and particularly our primary use cases within risk adjustment activities. If you're looking at hundreds of pages of charts for thousands of patients over the course of months, you're likely as a human to get tired, fatigued, very naturally, it's understandable, and maybe miss a detail or make a decision that maybe isn't consistent with what you might have made a decision around two weeks prior, if you will. Yeah. What the AI platform or AI type of capabilities can allow you to do is say, instead of looking at all 200 pages in this document, here's the eight pages that matter for what you are trying to do in this activity. And it doesn't have to be risk adjustment, right? It could be anything. It could be a quality initiative. It could be a variety of other activities. And if you're only looking at those pages and you're generally guided there and you're making either a confirmatory decision or you're saying, hey, actually, I don't agree because for our plan, X, Y, and Z matters a little bit more for whatever that use is, then you can make that change, but you're being a lot more efficient with your time. And that's really where I think you gain those efficiencies of scale and where we've always made our mark. And then importantly, if you're only looking at claims data, you may find 20 to 30% of the information. It's really rich data. It is the, the record of truth, if you will, as it relates to payment. But when you think further down into other areas where you would want to expand those capabilities, as we were talking about point of care, clinical discovery, things of that nature, that's where you do want to look at that unstructured data. And that unstructured data certainly has important details as it relates to the activities we were talking about but also has a richness of data and depth of data from the physician's notes, right? So the physician may code at a certain level and say that I have these two conditions, but they may also add in their notes because they don't necessarily want to bill for that. Oh, FYI, patient also has these other symptoms that we may want to keep track of. That's what you also want to know. And so yeah. that's where we think that entire profile is important, especially as we talk about things like value-based care. Yeah. So I imagine from what you've described, uh, you're primarily talking about natural language processing. Is that right? Yeah, that's part of it. And then there's other techniques as well that can be used to, to mine for insights. And uh, did you uh, build the technology on your own? Uh, you talk to us about the evolution of the, of the technology itself and uh, how you got it to where it is today. Sure. So we, we did build everything. It was purpose-built, if you will, in-house for risk adjustment initially. And certainly we've used a variety of NLP and, and machine learning techniques. And as we think about our platform, we've always had an eye towards other use cases. So the way in which we've developed it, think of it as the platform has a core capability of being able to find these insights. You can tune the algorithms to find what it is that you're looking for in a chart. So it doesn't have to be this risk adjustment case, although I'll come back and explain why that was an important place for us to start. And so then I can tune those those algorithms to find other information, whether it's a quality initiative, I just want to maybe search in a simple way for all diabetes patients who have had an eye exam or something else. You can do all of those activities by upfront tuning the platform to run those different use cases. And so that's really the way in which we envisioned it. So think of it as there's this base layer of capability. And then on top of that, you build out different applications for different use cases. And so as it relates to risk adjustment, that was an important area for us to select, certainly because, as you said, there's a tangible benefit that folks see right up front in terms of being able to appropriately deliver care for what may be a more higher acuity patient population. But also, it gave us the richness of data from which to eventually over time, and we particularly noticed this after we crossed 10 million patient records from across the U.S., and, and now we're north of 20 million, that diversity of data that you see in that risk adjustment function allows you to 
have confidence in a narrow confidence interval, I should say, in the insights that you're delivering. And that's really important, right? Because over time, you're going to not only want to believe in the decision that you're making as a health plan, but you also want all the more importantly to believe in those decisions being made as a provider to ultimately drive adoption of these technologies. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox. Well, if I were to strip it all down a little bit uh, for those who are maybe a little less initiated in the AI technology. So what are you really talking about? And let's say we're talking about the context of uh, risk adjustment. What you're really talking about is being compensated for the care that you provide and more specifically, making sure you're not leaving money on the table by missing something in the coding process that could uh, be a legitimate claim for a payment. Is that, yeah. is that fair? That's fair. And I would say importantly on the other side of it, and this is one of our our important, our full solution capability is that we also look the other way. So it's important to make that point. So from a compliance standpoint, you also want to look through and review those same charts and make sure, have I previously submitted for something that I shouldn't have? In which case you can proactively flag that and note it so that that payment is essentially recouped or taken out from what you may be finding for other more higher acuity populations. And so it's important to do both activities. So give us a sense of what the returns on investment in a technology like this for. Let's say you put in a dollar of investment, one of your clients, Centene or anyone else uh, puts in a dollar of investment in this technology. What can they expect to get out of it in terms of order magnitude of returns? Sure. So I think typically from an efficiency of workflow standpoint, and there's a dollar associated with that, that probably falls in the same range. What your customers would typically look for is something in the four to seven times uh, return in terms of efficiency of, of effort of what's what's being done by their folks. And then from a, a dollar perspective, it's a wide range and it depends on what the initiatives are that you're doing particularly. So I'm now speaking broader to some of the other things that we work on with customers beyond risk adjustment. So that can vary a little bit more, but from an operational efficiency standpoint, I'd say four to seven times. Well, that's a compelling case for any CFO who's listening to this podcast, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's switch topics for a minute here. I want to talk about data partnerships and this increased focus on AI. And I want to expand the conversation a little bit beyond just the the context of uh, administrative operations, because the opportunity is everywhere. And the progress of AI has been more or less, depending upon what context we are talking about. And generally, the more complex the clinical condition, the less progress we've seen with AI because humans are very difficult to replace when experience and intuition and judgment is involved. But when it's much more routine, it's a lot easier to introduce a tool like NLP or RPA or any of those other tools. One of the things that we're seeing is that uh, many health systems, and in fact, uh, health plans and health systems as well, are coming together to pool their data assets with the intention of applying AI tools to deliver a range of outcomes. So a few that come to my mind right away are the more recent announcements uh, Truetta, which is a consortium of some 14 different health systems. We've seen Mayo Clinic, for instance, that's partnered with Google, and they're developing a really strong partnership around that. They also announced a couple of new companies for launching AI products. And in the context of health plans, Highmark and Christiana Care, which was announced just a week or so ago. 
What do you make of this trend? Why are people doing this? What do you see as the implication or the opportunity for a company like Apixio? Yeah, it's really interesting to have seen, especially in the last uh, handful of months, as you're stating, a bunch of partnerships around what do we do with all of this data that we have, and particularly as it relates to some of these health systems. And I think most of them have come to the realization that the path for them here is to have a partner that can help them get there faster rather than perhaps developing that capability in-house. Now, certainly there are some organizations that can, to be fair, but overall it's an exciting trend. And I think that the challenge through all of this is going to be, how do you keep that data integrity at a high level? There's certainly some compliance type of steps that need to be held there, especially as it relates to HIPAA. But if you can clear all of that, then you've got a high integrity of data and then you need to very specifically define what is the success for this activity that we're pursuing and do it in bits and pieces, which I think is generally what's alluded to in in some of the uh, partnerships that you're referencing and grow into it over time so that you have confidence that the decisions that you're making using those technologies are ones that you can feel really good about that are not going to either impact you from a financial viability standpoint but you know, more importantly, that are going to be good decisions for you in delivering care to the set of patients that you see. And I think that even in one of the organizations that you mentioned, Mayo Clinic in particular, they referenced that they're going to be utilizing some of these wearables technologies and, yeah. and other types of data. I think that's really exciting. I think that's very interesting that to really see good. how that all plays out. Yeah, yeah. So question, a follow-up question on that. One of the things that we see when it comes to applying AI in the context of clinical outcomes, clinical operations, is it's hard to translate the algorithms from one context to another. The algorithms require a lot of retraining. All the variables need to be adjusted when you're moving from one population to another. From the sound of it, that doesn't necessarily seem like a problem for your kind of work. So if you have an NLP algorithm that's able to scrub through charts and surface opportunity areas, it'll work just the same in any hospital, any health plan across the country. You don't really have to do a lot of tweaking to it. Is that a fair statement? It depends. I mean, certainly there's different guidelines for each type of organization that you're working with, plan or provider group that might matter to how you approach each situation. So there might be custom tuning, but as a general concept, your your comment is fair. So now you're a part of Sentine, and I guess uh, it's a whole different feel from being an independent company. So one of the obvious questions is, does your relationship with Sentine preclude you from doing any kinds of business, especially with their competitors? No, it doesn't. That's the short answer. And so part of the focus of this transaction, and in particular, one of Sentine's underlying theses was that we would continue to sell externally and focus our efforts equally there, if not more so. And so... I think the simplest way to do it with due respect to size and scale is think of how Optum operates within United and serving both the parent company as well as the broader market. So our goal is, and certainly we continue to work in that regard to win and have won new contracts with other players in the market. Let's talk about the flip side of AI. You know, we always like to talk about the yin and yang of all of the technologies we talk about on this podcast. The AI is coming under a lot of pressure for a lot of reasons, uh, privacy issues, uh, unintended uh, bias in the algorithms, et cetera, et cetera. Generally speaking, not specifically for your company, but generally speaking, as somebody who's working in this space extensively, what do you think are the big challenges for AI that industry needs to address before we can realize its full potential? Yeah, I think, and I say this with the appropriate couching to what you're guiding to there, is 
the widespread adoption or the way in which you drive this faster are appropriately at tension with what are the privacy requirements and what is covered under HIPAA, what other considerations do you need to be aware of? You know, there's there's other government task forces around this that need to be kept in mind. And so it's the appropriate tension of of how fast I think technology firms would want to move to say, yeah, give me all the data and I'll run it through and, and we'll get you that much more high quality insights and analytics. But on the other side, you have, let's be thoughtful about it and let's move at the right speed. And so I, I think it's a healthy tension. I would say that the ability to get there should be picking up pace as you start getting folks comfortable that you're able to maintain the integrity or the security of that data. And I think that happens with more and more players. Now, is there a big situation that comes up at some point in the future and there's a breach and, you know, knock on wood, that doesn't happen, but someone is exposed and that becomes a concern, of, of course, right? That I think would be naive to say that that may not happen. But we already know that some of these issues are are there. And so, with more firms being focused on that as a table stakes item to be successful in winning new engagements with plans and providers, I think it actually drives some of the discipline even more so around that. And then ultimately, when you think about the different axes of of how do you propagate or how do you become competitive in, in healthcare analytics with the use of AI, there's three different vectors. There's the quality of your data science, which you have generally control over. There's the quality of data volume or the quantity of data volume to say that, okay, I have enough sample sets. This is to your bias point. I have enough diversity of, of patient data from which to feel comfortable, or I can certainly tune it to say, hey, for this case, I don't want to have a, too much of a bias in this direction or that direction. And then there's the data liquidity piece. And it's really the data liquidity that's going to be your rate limiting factor here when you think about those three vectors, because that is driven by not only decisions by health systems and providers as to I want to hold on to my data, but also from a regulatory standpoint. There's a lot to process uh, in terms of the various factors that are going to influence the pace of adoption of AI, but I think you laid it out really well. Well, Sachin, we're coming up to the end of our time here. Any last thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Uh, no, I appreciate the time. It's been a good conversation and, and certainly there's there's a lot in each of these. So look forward to keeping up with you as well to see how you evolve your thinking as well. Thank you. Greatly appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can reach us at info at thebigunlock.com with your feedback and questions. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox.